Adam. Hey, what's up, Brian? All right, let's try this again. Sorry about that. You're fine. You're fine. This is a Two Cents Sports Talk, and I'm uh, your host, Adam Tulak, and I'm here with my co-host, Brian Crum. What's going on, Adam? What's going on? Um, well, today we're going to talk about, you know, the NBA. We're going to talk about the finals a little bit, how the Cavs and Warriors ended up playing out, and then we're going to talk about free agency and the draft, mainly the draft that's coming up in uh, less than 48 hours. Then we're going to end with a little bit of football, potentially just how the Browns are doing, certain draft picks. And I want to talk a little bit about Mason Rudolph and how he's getting in with uh, the Steelers as well. So to begin, we're going to talk about with the draft, which is in about 48 hours, a little under that. And we're just going to talk about our opinions on that and uh, what's going on. So you want to start off with that, Brian? Yeah, that sounds good to me. Um <clears throat> So starting off with the our thoughts on the finals, just kind of recapping it. Okay, where mm-hmm. where do we we left off right before Cavs played Game Seven against Boston, right? That was our last last time we talked, right? On I think air, so. On record. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I think the the general consensus is the Cavs lost that series. At the end of game one, I don't know what your take is on yeah. that. Whenever uh, they had it, you know, I agree with that they, they had that game. They were gonna get that steal in uh, in mm-hmm. Golden State in Oracle Arena. Jared Smith had that little fluke. He actually fooled me. Like when I saw him take it out, he had me <laughs> think that we were up by one as well. That's just the instant reaction that I had. Yeah. and then. The buzzer went off, and mm-hmm. I realized, oh, geez, we're going to overtime. And LeBron had yeah. nothing left in the tank at that point. And the Warriors, yeah. that's what's so deadly about them. You know, they could have a bad game, and then they just – they go on, you know, they can just go on runs like that. Steph was on fire. And, you know, not only did that get him – not only did that get them the win in overtime with Steph catching fire – but he caught fire for the rest of the playoffs. You know, that was a spark after having such an off mm. game. So, you know, I don't know. It's I, I'm not taking this one as hard as the last one. The last one, last yeah. year I was pretty upset. I mean, Cavs lost 4-1, and I was just frustrated because I, I just thought KD ruined a beautiful series, and I still do. You know, I can't put him mm-hmm. – can't blame him, can't put him at fault. For going to go on state, it's a smart personal decision, I guess. But it just sucks yeah. as a Cavs fan, and I would assume as an NBA fan, even a Warriors fan, you know, that he mm-hmm. that team's unbeatable with him. You know, you can you could get it, you could get a game or two if you're Houston. You know, get three, but they got three. They got three. The thing is with that. That was a all-time great team in the regular season, and they added an MVP. And now it's just they seem unbeatable, so it's not even fun anymore. Whereas if Durant didn't go yeah, to the Warriors, okay. then Kyrie Irving would still be in Cleveland. He would. And this would have been the fourth game of just one of the best rivalries in NBA history, and I think Kevin Durant ran that. But – like I said, can't blame him because if I were him personally, who knows? Maybe I would have done the same thing. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, financially, 
and just like personally because that takes a lot of pressure off of you and puts you in a good winning basketball environment but yeah okay I'm gonna dissect a little bit what you were saying here and I'm gonna give my thoughts on each uh, topic so we'll start with this year's finals I thought that the Cavs had a chance this year I didn't think that they were should have been a as big of underdogs as they were perceived with like Vegas and everything. And I, that all changed after game one, obviously, but like game one, I expected something like that because after watching the Houston series, uh, I thought the Warriors could be beat. You know, I thought they could get pushed around a little bit. I mean, we talked you know, I think our last podcast a little bit about LeBron and how good he was, or maybe two podcasts ago, like in the GOAT conversation and stuff. And like those kind of players, you know, especially if they get game one, it's a whole new series. You know, he doesn't like injure his hand and like, there's a multiple other aspects to, hey, they believe they can win, you know? And then they also held them close to a few other games. Like, blowouts are going to happen either way. But if you get the first one, that changes a lot of other things yeah. going forward. And but let, me, let me jump in. I mean, real, once the first one was quick, over. Adam, that being said, okay, that's another thing that I took out mm-hmm. of this series. This was out of the four years that these teams have gone up against each other in the finals. This was the only sweep. But this was probably the closest game-by-game series since the first year. There was only one game that was yeah. a double-digit win, and that was that was the last game where they just they had the game pretty much the whole time. But this was game one and game two. Cleveland very much so could have been coming out of there with a W. And that was their window whenever Andre Iguodala was yeah. out and not on LeBron. So it, I just think yeah. it's pretty interesting that this was the closest, like most competitive series out of all four years, game mm. by game, you know? But go on, go yeah. on. I just wanted to mention that. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah, it, it was a lot closer and stuff. And that was interesting, but. I mean, you talked about how it wasn't like a sweep last year, but it was pretty much like a gentleman's sweep because the Cavs won in game four and not many teams are going to be able to come back from a 3-0 deficit. You know, I know the Cavs came back from a 3-1, but, you know, so it was like a gentleman's sweep almost like where they won it in Golden right. State. And uh, <clears throat> at least we got to see good basketball in the final uh, conference finals, though, you know, where Cavs played Boston in a seven-game series, which was entertaining. And then you had the Warriors and Rockets, which many thought would settle the uh, – NBA championship right there in the Western Conference Finals. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I I, I think these uh, Warriors, I mean, they are an all-time great dynasty, but I'm – I think the Rockets really had a chance. If Chris Paul doesn't go down, I can see them winning one of the last two games. If not, you know, I think it might be game six just because he would all would have been down for the Warriors. And, you know, at one point. I don't think that happened to Chris Paul. Maybe getting guys more shooting himself, you know? So, I think they can be beaten, and I think that next year, I mean, depending on how the uh, chess pieces fall in the NBA, whether pieces go to Boston or L.A. or um, stay in Houston, you know, like, it's going to be an interesting uh, offseason to see where that lands. And then going back to the uh, finals last year, and like, I guess KD going to Golden State. That year he had uh, – uh, people don't bring it up enough. The the Thunder had the Warriors down 3-1. Yeah. You know, I think that we were coming back from uh, Annapolis where to see our friend Ben uh, at the Naval Academy with Cy, me and you, right? Yeah. 
that I think game seven, we were trying to watch on our phone and stuff through Pennsylvania, but you know, KD that's, they had him down three, one and that series and the Warriors ended up coming back. I think it was a seven, three, 73 and nine series. So like these guys have been, and throughout multiple playoffs, you know, like they they've had a lot of injuries for their opposing teams. You know, like it's, it's just so funny how lucky they've been recently. They are really good, but it's just funny how they have gotten lucky throughout the years, whether that's be Chris Paul injured and Blake Griffin injured with the Clippers, I think a few years back, or um, I think Damian Lillard was hurt one series in the past. And then this year, I, oh, I'm forgetting who was hurt this year, but I mean, Chris Paul got hurt game six and seven, but they have had their breaks and stuff. And that's what happens, you know, with dynasties as well. That ends up happening. And I just think that, um, I think it was a good decision overall for KD. He won two finals MVPs, which, Shows a lot for him. He shot over 50% those two years he was there. He shot over 50% for the last few years. And he has the right to do that. And the Warriors had enough cap space to go make him. And, I mean, he's better than – he's a way better Harrison Barnes, you know. So, I get that. And then um, what else did you bring up? There was one more thing you brought up I was going to hit on. Hmm. We talked about the last two finals. And was that it? Yeah, nothing – Nothing's really coming up that I feel like you missed. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, but, I mean, it, it has been pretty impressive. I think that this offseason, though, I'm going to reiterate that, you know, depending on how people fall and where people go, they can be beaten, you know. Like, there, there's a good chance – I mean, there's a chance of it, I think. You know, you have to – injuries do happen, like we've mentioned before, and there's multiple teams in the West. It's still a difficult conference to get out of, so – yeah, no, I, I mean, yeah. you bring up good points of how they have had luck in their on their side for sure in the past few years. I mean, with <clears throat> with Kyrie and Kevin Love out that first year that they won against the Cavs, and then Chris Paul going down, Blake Griffin going down, um, Kawhi Leonard going down last year against them in the final in the conference finals. Chris mm-hmm. Paul going down in the conference finals this year. I mean, they definitely have their, their fair share of luck. But, in yes, it is possible to beat them. But I still just think whenever you have four, four all-stars, four current all-stars, and then you see how valuable Andre Iguodala is whenever he shows up in game three and four. <clears throat> I mean, people forget, too, how Andre Iguodala – was a big-time all-star back in his day, too. Um, yeah. When you have them on your team, it, it just takes one or two of them to go off, and and then it's just – it's hard to beat them if you've got more than two of them on, you know. So they're definitely beatable, yeah. and that's why, you know, the Rockets have shown us that they, they're the closest team to beat them outside of the Cavs' lucky season couple of years back when mm-hmm. they won the finals coming back from that three, one deficit, but <clears throat> I, it's possible, but it's, it's very, very small probability whenever you just, you have that many guys who can potentially go off and go on those crazy three point shooting streaks. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And then I just want to add one more thing about Iguodala is um, you can really see how important IQ is. Yeah. You know, they had, uh, I think, Looney and they had uh, other players in filling in for him while he was gone. 
But once he came back, like he had a plus minus, I think, of 10 the first game they he was back or whatever. Or he might have had a higher plus minus than that. But, I mean, he was impressive just because his, like, IQ was so smart. I don't think he played a whole lot of minutes. He played about 20 to 30 minutes. But he was just – he knew where to move the ball. He knew where to be, you know, for the open pass and stuff. And it just – that's a separator there. And then also Sean Livingston. I don't know, I mean, what, he missed one or two shots in the, the entire series. So that's another role player that didn't get – you know, got a lot of credit um, – they didn't, I don't think, got enough credit, you know, just by not missing and being so efficient. And then JaVel McGee, I mean, people joke about him, and, like, I joke about him a lot, but he did have a big – you know, he really stepped up just because you have to worry about all those other weapons, like the four other weapons, you know. You were talking about how I think Curry and Thompson weren't too hot game three, but KD had enough to carry him by himself. That's just – one of them's going to be hot at all times, but McGee was also – you have to cover, cover the guys, and McGee was just uh, picking up the scraps and – being op- being the open man and just filling that role pretty well as well. So, oh, absolutely, they, have, they do have a pretty good team, and it's going to be an interesting uh, season. But let's transition to the uh, NBA draft a little bit, and that's see if any potential chess pieces are there for the future of these other teams and potential and the Cavs as well. So, uh, to begin, let's talk about the Suns, and they're more than likely going to take Eaton from Arizona, which is just up the road. What do you think about that pick and him? I, I think it's hard for them to go go wrong with DeAndre Aiden at one. Uh, for the longest time, I I thought that uh, Luka Doncic was deserving of one. And I still do think that Luka Doncic is the best all-around player in this draft. But mm-hmm. um, I guess DeAndre Aiden makes sense for what they're trying to do. They've got a young core of good uh, – good wings and shooting guards on their team. So mm-hmm. I think if they just add some more length and uh, and that other scoring power on their team, I think DeAndre Ayn's perfect for what they're trying to do. You know, he, he brings that that stardom, that firepower to their team. So I think, I think it's yeah. a good pick. For the longest time, I was monitoring the, uh, the top prospects because the Cavs had that Brooklyn pick. And I was monitoring – Brooklyn's record and everything and they were they were like in uh, the top five range for the longest time and that's before Aiden really took off and he him and Jaron Jackson were the two guys that I was really really hoping the Cavs could uh, get with that Brooklyn pick and right now it there's unless all of our information right now is wrong there looks like a zero percent chance that we'll get either one without making a trade up so yeah yeah i'm high on deandre aiden and everyone talks about him lacking defensively but he's a seven footer and i guess they're saying that he has more block shots in uh in college than carl anthony towns actually had so okay i mean i think that that you just get nitpicky whenever you're looking at these top tier players like that so, yeah, I don't think that's too much. I liked uh, how athletic he is. Yeah. You know, it's like a seven foot, seven one guy, 250 pound center who could just fly around. He has a decent jumper. It's not perfect yet. He's going to have to grow into that a little bit more and maybe extend the three point line. He didn't take a whole lot of threes this year, but he did shoot, shoot decent. I think he shot like 34% from three when on the ones he did shoot. Um, He's a sh- extremely athletic in the center. Like he's going to be a powerful guy. I, uh, I'm really high on Luka Doncic as well, and I wanted to ask you a question. Now that the uh, Suns' new coach is from 
um, Luka Doncic's home country. What do you think about them potentially passing up on him? Like, what's that say about Luka Doncic, or does that say more about like DeAndre Ayton as a whole? You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, he actually did mm. coach Luka in the past, since he is from the same yeah. same country. He coached him in uh, the FIBA basketball games. Um, I don't think it really says much about Luka. I just think it says a lot about what the management in Phoenix is looking to do. I mean, this this is a new coach, and I don't think he actually has, you know, the 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 pool that a lot of coaches like Doc Rivers or, you know, Stan Van Gundy has had in the past. So <laughs> I don't think it says anything negative about Luca. I just think that the Suns are looking for that, that bigger star of talent to bring in and okay. pair another big name star with, uh, with Booker, you know, and that's actually the thing that, okay, then- that kind of leads into it where, you know, people are saying that Luca could fall to four or five. Whenever he was, mm-hmm. he was seriously considered the number one prospect by far. I mean, he's he's the MVP of the second best league in in the world outside of the NBA. Um, yeah, and he's putting up massive numbers, and he's played against NBA level uh, players just through through uh, FIBA and whatnot. But I think that it's just the fact that he's a little bit less attractive, you know, and some of mm-hmm. these some of these teams that are picking up there, they want to sell tickets. So they've got to pick the more attractive star star player like a DeAndre Ayn or a Marvin Bagley, you know? And I think that that's where yeah. it hurts Luca because saying, but... a lot of teams who who are like playoff caliber, that Luca's number one on their board for sure. Like Luca is is mm-hmm. the guy who comes in and plays on day one and does exactly what you need him to do. So, yeah, I think he's just unattractive for selling tickets perspective, but he's the most productive out of all of them. I get what you're saying, but I mean, that's why some of these teams keep drafting up here, right? Because they look at selling tickets in the short term rather than, I mean, wins are going to sell the most tickets overall. And I, I agree. Luka Doncic is very high on my board. I have him. I haven't really made a board yet, but I, I think Marvin Bagley is honestly my per, uh, personal favorite player. I'm a huge fan of him from uh, Duke. I've liked him since the beginning. He He's a decent power forward. He has, I think it's like 6'10 or something. He has an outside shot a little bit. I just like his athleticism, and he recorded uh, 22 double-doubles, and I just am a big fan of him. And he played for uh, Duke under Mike Krzyzewski, so that's just a big, you know, coaching. He performed well, you know, with all those players around him, as well as having that coaching for a year, which they're all – pretty good coaching you know when you go uh through Michigan State and everywhere else but I, I I'm a big fan of Marvin Bagley and I think that he's going to be something special as well it's very this draft is really loaded I think there's not many busts I think Luka Doncic is the most ready to play and I I mean one of his negatives is he's not like extremely athletic you know but I mean that was one of James Harden's knocks and he's yeah. more than likely didn't I don't know if they've said that he's won the MVP yet, but he's probably going to win the MVP. You know, that was one of the Harden uh, knocks on Harden was he's not super athletic, but you know how to create your own shot. He can go right, he can go left, and he just seems to be an impressive player. And that league is a little step up from uh, the NCAA. Like I heard someone talk about that, I think on ESPN, how the NBA is like the major leagues. You know, Triple A is pretty much the Euro League or FIBA, and then you have Double uh, A's college. So 
for Luka Doncic to perform like that, especially against competition like uh, Porzingis and stuff throughout the years, he's been, he's been in the league since he's been 16. That's just been really impressive, and I'm excited to see where he falls and stuff. Well, and that's, that's that. the thing, Adam. People will knock him on his athleticism, but you bring up a good point. James Harden, he's got a quick first step, but outside of that, not super athletic. Steph Curry, no one drafted him for his physical capabilities, and – Look at what he does mm-hmm. to a defense, you know? It's just yeah. – I think athleticism <laughs> is a little bit um, – I think it carries too much weight, you know? Like, you you might want an athletic, yeah. lengthy, big, but athleticism only goes so far and if you – you have to have the skill first, you know? So, yeah, I would much rather take the skilled player than the athletic player because – a skilled player can work on their body and perfect their body. I mean, they're not going to necessarily make major leaps athletically, but they, they can improve upon their body and their endurance. And Luca is 19 years old. He just turned 19 and he's the MV, MVP mm-hmm. of that, of his league right now. I mean, like you said, he was playing since he was 16 against grown men. So, mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's got a lot of ways to come with, uh, with with his body i mean especially whenever he's going to be in a world-class organization that puts invests in him you know with their workout trainings and whatnot yeah and i want to make a, a comparison with luka Doncic and uh ben simmons you know yeah. i know ben simmons is an athletic freak and stuff but he can't shoot like luka I, you know they're sort of in the same body i think they're both what six eight six seven or so, you know, but Luke is a better shooter, less athletic, and Ben Simmons is more athletic and can drive. But they both can pass the ball really well. They both can rebound. Um, ben Simmons is probably a little better defender because he's a little more athletic. But, you know, I think that they, you know, they're both really similar because they're both tall ball handlers bringing up the court, uh, bringing the ball up the court, and they can pass yeah. very well. You know, probably the best in the, their draft classes each. So that's, a, that's something else to That's uh, a good comparison, for. you know. Luke is 6'8", Ben 6'10", and <clears> – <throat> Ben is, I mean, they both have incredibly high basketball IQs and Ben is just the more athletic version with less, less skill. And Luca's the less athletic version with a lot more skill shooting wise and ball handling wise. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a good comparison just, you know, on opposite ends of the spectrum though, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But Wow. Okay, so uh, let's get on to the next guy you brought up a little bit, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. You said that you really wanted the Cavs to get him, and here's an interesting stat. I don't know if you knew this, but Jackson blocked more shots than DeAndre Ayton and Marvin Bagley combined. I didn't know that. Which is pretty impressive. I didn't know that. And he shot a higher percentage from three-point yeah. territory, 39.6% uh, than Trey Young, th- who shot 36% for yeah. three. Obviously, Trey Young shot more threes, but, I mean, those are some interesting, you know – uh, stats about the guy, and he he's 6'11 with a 7'5 wingspan. So it's seems like that guy is, you know, well-qualified well to go top five. I haven't looked much into Jaron Jackson, but let's hear your take on him and just your thoughts overall. Yeah, well, overall. When I, I didn't know that, that stat that you were talking about, but it doesn't surprise me because when I was looking at him, <laughs> uh, the college season was like two games from being being done and going in, into tournament, and he was averaging, I think it was like, 4.2 blocks or 5.2 blocks per 36 minutes and that's just crazy so and his, his three-point percentage was at 40 percent when i was looking at him so mm-hmm. i mean he's 6'11 um 
240. He's got he can he's super athletic. He's he's the ideal rim runner for this NBA. He, the only thing about him is that he's he's young. He's 19. He's a little bit raw, and he's gonna take a little more time to develop. But I mean, that's that's the thing about this draft class. Um, DeAndre Ains seven foot. Marvin Bagley, 6'11". Jaron Jackson, 6'11". Luka's a 6'8 point guard. Mohamed Bamba is uh, 7 foot. And Michael Porter Jr. is 6'10". And Wendell mm-hmm. Carter is 6'10". And those are the top seven prospects, arguably. So yeah, this class is just geared for what the NBA is designed for. All of these lengthy uh, forwards that can be running rim protectors at center, you know, so and who can also mm-hmm. shoot threes. So I don't know. I think that this is just this is a wonderful draft class for the way that the NBA is headed, and that's why I'm super excited about having a pick as a cast in the top eight because it sucks that we're not in the top four or whatever, but. I think that there's eight solid players and I'd be happy to get any of those. And there, there's more than eight solid players, but I think that there are eight like can't miss players. Mm-hmm. Does it concern you at all that he only averaged 11 points per game and six rebounds or how's that factor in with your thoughts there? Jaron Jackson? Know? Yes. No, it doesn't really concern me because it, I mean, I didn't watch, you know, I didn't watch a lot of tape or anything, but from what I noticed watching the tournament, um, they really didn't run their offense through him at all. Like he, he was like their fourth or fifth option, really. That's what it seemed like. Okay. Um, They had, uh, who was it? It wasn't Mikhail. They had Brandon Bridges and Miles Bridges uh, or Miles Bridges. And he was, yeah, he was their main, uh, focal point on their offense and I mean it's a Michigan State team where you've got a young 19 year old that I don't think I don't know I don't know I didn't follow him that much but I don't think that he was projected to be this high going into the season so I feel like yeah uh, if anything it's just impressive to show that he was able to make a name for himself and move this far up the draft boards with all that talent around him and not being the centerpiece of their offense yeah, we've seen plenty of players, you know, especially from Kentucky, who've just had a bunch of talent around them and their numbers have been lower. And then, like, once they get in the league, they're like, okay, this is why I was a top 10 recruit out of out of high school, you know? Exactly. So, I mean, there's also two guys projected in the top 10 from Michigan State alone, and they've always been a powerhouse for basketball. So, it also, you know, it can water you down a little bit. That's why I thought Marvin Bagley was so impressive because he had 22 yeah. double-doubles and really led that team, you know? He stood Absolutely. out. That's why I thought Bagley was impressive. But, I mean – you see guys, I think Devin Booker was the sixth man for Kentucky when they won it. Yeah. With, so, that, I mean, that was – No, absolutely. That's just another factor that goes into it. So You see that at every level, too, yeah. where, you know, you see inflated statistics where if you're playing for the Kings or if you're playing for the Suns or the Hawks, you know, the top three teams in the draft mm-hmm. who were, you know, in the top five worst teams this year, the, some of their players are going to have inflated stats where they would have nothing near – uh, the numbers they're putting up if they're playing for a contender like uh, a Golden State or a Boston team. Why? And that's why yeah. uh, that's why 
their young players' uh, production for Boston was so impressive this year. I think um, an example of that would be the Kings, like you brought up. I think George Hill shot like around forty percent before he got traded to the Cavs. You're shooting forty-six percent from three. Yeah, and that just dropped off big time, you know. So yeah. it just you know pressure adds up, and then I, I mean it just happens sometimes. And then also, yeah, he, he was only averaging ten points, so. He wasn't shooting a whole lot of threes, but th- that's just another factor that goes in, you know, yeah. with that. Um, all right, let's do uh, Mohamed Bamba. I think that that's a very interesting draft pick. He's yeah. extremely fast. He's faster than John Wall and uh, Russell Westbrook were at the three-quarter court uh, sprint, really? and he has a huge wingspan. He had a 3.7 blocks per game, uh, 10.5 rebounds per game. He shot, I think, really highly in a pro day three points three point range and he just keeps keeps moving out so what are your thoughts on Mobamba? well I like Mobamba. um I was hoping that once the Cavs solidified their a spot that he was the guy we'd be able to get there but in uh recent weeks he's just flown up people's uh draft boards so it's looking a lot less likely that that would that he would fall to us but I think he's He's probably my favorite prospect in this class as of right now. I just mm-hmm. – I really like him. I like his size. He's seven foot. He's got the speed that you were talking about. And I thought that he was raw offensively. And, I mean, he was shooting on contested threes. But, like you were saying at that, at that pro day, he was showing that he can knock down now too. So, I think that mm-hmm. he is like – the upgraded version of a Clint Capella, you know? So, yeah. And he's I, just I, I an interesting dude. Early on. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I, I was just he could be a lot like Embiid, you know? I was thinking, you know, I thought Clint Capella, but I thought, you know, Embiid, since he's starting to get a three-point shot and stuff, and he's a shot blocker as well, I thought that he could end up turning into, like, an Embiid type, you know? Well, I think he'd be a better version of Embiid because Embiid still has the size, and he's he's a defensive liability whenever people are playing small ball, getting up, the, mm-hmm. up and down the court, people, yeah. people pick him out. Like, uh, like you saw Boston, they, they picked out Embiid on the defensive end with Al Horford because Al Horford could, could run the floor better than him. Yeah, he's more agile. Yeah. And, and they, well, I'm interested to see how Mobamba, you know, goes against bigger defenders like DeMarcus Cousins potentially too, because his lower body's not fully there yet. You know, he can still get bodied a little bit down there in that sense, but he has more athletic, you know, against like a Steph Curry or an Al Horford on the perimeter. So there is pluses and minuses to um, him. But I mean, he, that, he's only 19, I think, right? So he can grow into that bigger body. And he, yeah, you're right. He could project higher than Embiid if he does get a little bit thicker down low. Yeah. And then one more stat about him, or one more thing about quality about Bamba is he has an eight foot wingspan. That's that's really insane. That would help with the three point seven blocks per game, wouldn't it? Yeah, and uh, that's uh, one of the reasons <clears throat> I like him. I I just saw him doing an interview the other day, and he's just a well spoken, polished uh, athlete. And I mean, the the random fact about him being a chess player and how that was the first trophy that he's won was at a chess tournament. Mm-hmm. I think that that's pretty. Yeah. Yeah, didn't that sort of get him into uh, playing basketball? Was he saw his brother's trophies or something? He was like, I want that, or I, I forget. I could be wrong about that, but I thought I saw a similar interview where he's talking about trophies and stuff. But 
we'll just uh, skip over that, I guess. Um, who do you want to talk about next? Uh, or, or do you want to keep going on Bamba? Brian? 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 